It's so good to be with you all. Good morning. It's a delight to be here. This table is a lot lighter than it looks. When I picked it up, I thought to myself, either I've become incredibly strong or this is a light table. So there's your fun fact for the morning. Um, I have not spoken in like all summer long. I've been, I've sort of not been on the, I've sort of stepped out of the teaching cycle. I've been working on this book. The due date is September 1st. Pray for me. Please pray for me. I'm almost there. So as Bill talked last week about the rocks and the gravel and the sand, that is our priorities. I have like one giant, like monolithic rock in my jar that I've been focusing on. So it's, I don't know if I know what to do up here, but there's a microphone and there's a table and there's all of you and it's good to be with you. And so I'm going to read something. We're talking about simplicity. We're talking about simplicity and Today, the technology talk is we're going to have that technology talk, simple technology. Um, And so I'm going to start off by just reading two, a little vignette of uh, brilliant, creative, wise, ancient ideas that I think can speak into our 21st century moment with all of our technology and our MySpaces and our um, hybrid cars in the 21st century. So go ahead, Ron, hit that music. This comes from the lips of Jesus in one of the greatest teachings on this planet through all history as Luke beautifully introduced a couple weeks ago. He says this in Matthew chapter six, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Let's all take a deep breath together real quick, ready? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the flowers of the field. Let's all do one more deep breath here. Ready? Look at the flowers of the field. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field... Grass, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have such little faith. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they run after all these kinds of things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. 
We'll do one more breath. Here we go. Ready? Inhale. But seek first his kingdom, his priorities, his imperial rule, and his justice, his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thanks, Ron. It's perfect. So we're talking about technology, and I'm reading a passage about worry. And that could seem a little bit um, surprising. Like, shouldn't we talk about how Bluetooth works or, like, what cryptocurrency is or are e-bikes good things or bad things? That should be the priority of our talk. And yet, as we can obviously know, the scriptures written over centuries, the earliest, I mean, the latest one, like 2,000 years from us, are not going to be able to speak to some of these things. And technology is technology. I mean, great things happen. Look at Sadie. Look at little Sadie. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Oh, let's close in prayer. That's all we need today, I think, right there. Oh, technology is technology. But there are these deeper, ancient, tested and true insights that we can, we can stop and breathe and come back to the moment and reconsider the highly complex lives that we lead. And maybe, this is what's so crazy, just maybe recalibrate a couple things by God's grace and see something amazing happen. See some freedom. This thing we call peace and shalom. And the sounds of babies are like truly like the angels singing in this church. I mean it. Is it not amazing when I hear Kathy play that guitar over there? You hear these kids sing. Like, God, thank you for the life that you have brought into this place. I just, I mean it. I really, really love that. Um, and I, I, I would even suggest that Jesus might even say something like, like, look at these little children. You woke up this morning, a thought hit you, something heavy maybe. You went to bed last night, something was spinning. Maybe it's innocent and just a project you're trying to solve and figure out. Maybe it's something from your past, it's a pain, it's a hurt. And it just seems like, man, that's sticky and globby and tarry, and it's just stuck in there. And in this teaching, Jesus does something really simple and simply brilliant. He says, stop. Look up real quick. Stop. Look over here real quick. Look at this beauty. Look at this natural, incredible beauty, and I want you to learn from it in the now, in the here and now, in the moment. So but without talking even about technology, the scriptures are talking about us, talking to us. What is our thing? What is our, our proclivity? What is our sort of natural gravitational pull? If you just stand still as a human being in the 21st century or in the first century, where do you drift? Where are you moving towards? There's a powerful anthropology, powerful psychology, really brilliant assessment of the human condition that we get in these highly literary, brilliant, insightful perspectives on life, history, purpose, all that stuff. Like, yes, it's clothed in genres and styles. I love like how whenever 
Taylor preaches, he opens up his sermon, and I, you know it by heart, I kind of know it, I'm not going to try to butcher it, but it's this really cool way of essentially saying what we're hearing comes to us from an ancient world and ancient hearts and minds, but it's truth that speaks into our right now. So what's Jesus doing and how is it identifying something? I want to, um, it's not typical for me to do this, but I want to get sort of academic with you for a second and step into the field of psychology for, for um, give me like, I hit a stopwatch and I never started it. So this sermon's going to go really long now. No, I have a stopwatch there. The, um, I wanted to read you something. So there's this, this really multi-year study that was done and it actually covered research for five, up to like five decades. And there are these four psychologists that um, published this in the Review of Journal Psychology, a peer-reviewed journal, good journal. And if you've ever read a academic article, has anyone read an academic article? So it's actually, yeah, okay, because look, look around real quick. That's interesting. I'm like, where? I mean, I know, I, I know where Jessica's read one from, but um, I'm not, I'm like, where have y'all read these from? That's great. You read an academic article. They have this thing called an abstract in the front. So it's a summary, one paragraph summary of the whole thick, meaty, article. I want to read the title of this article and then I'm going to read you the abstract. The title of the article is this, Bad is Stronger Than Good. I go, ooh, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Praise the Lord. Bad is stronger than good. And in this, they synthesize decades of research on um, this thing we call, psychologists call a negativity bias that we all have and that's important. I might bring up a guest speaker on that in a second. But listen to this and um, I'll annotate it a bit. This is the abstract. The greater power of bad events over good ones is found in everyday events. Major life events, for example, trauma, close relationship outcomes, social network patterns, interpersonal interactions, and learning processes. So this article is saying right off the bat, you human beings given a good thing or a bad thing, the bad thing will make the bigger imprint on you, just in terms of your response. And then it goes on. Bad emotions, bad parents, and bad feedback have more impact than good ones. Think about that for a second. You can go, and I'll send you this article if you want. You can see all the studies they're referencing, but you can also just quickly do a scan of your own research data pool, which is your life. Like, I... As a professor, every single semester, all of my students do evaluations of how I taught. They're anonymous, and I get them at the end of the semester, like Krampus visiting me at the end of a long semester, and I, I look through them. And I can have, and I'm not kidding, I might have 200 students at a time. I can get 100 really encouraging, oh, Dr. P, your mustache looks wonderful. I love what you're doing with your hair. Um, and then I'll get like, one comment. It's like, I don't know. I couldn't follow it. He went, he went on a lot of rabbit trails. And I'm like, those aren't rabbit trails. That's content. And I'm like defending myself in my head. I'm going to find out who this kid is. I'm going to follow the grammatical patterns and trace it back to paper, triangulate the student, find them, and make them say that they're wrong. Like you get so hurt by it. It really does. It's like, and I'm, I'm 10 years into this full-time teaching thing, and still I hate it. Like, ooh, that hurts. So 100 good comments, one bad comment. I know none of our pastors or preachers in here feel that way, right? It's like you get a bad comment about your preaching. You're like, you just it rolls right off your back. You just move on. To the, no, like it really, you're like, oh man, that hurts. Goodness. 
we do want honest feedback, but come on. So we know this is true. How about this one? This was interesting. Bad parents, bad emotions, bad feedback. So think about your parents even. Moments you've had with these folks or whoever raised you. Ten amazing events with them. A hundred incredible moments with them. But we all can remember those one or two, and for some of us, unfortunately, maybe more than that, where there was a really painful moment that just dug deep. And we still feel the scar tissue and we stop and think about it. And for some reason, that one event takes up so much more space. My daughter will be the only one that will never have a bad experience with her parents. She's, that's it. The rest of you? No, it's true though, right? We remember those more. So I, I'm just, I'm affirming here. I think that they're onto something. It goes on. Bad impressions and bad stereotypes are quicker to form and more resistant to disconfirmation than good ones. So if I suggest something bad about you or about something, I have more as a rhetorician, as a speaker, I have more chance of shaping you than if I said something good about something. If I found the problem, and this could be why I think a lot of preachers, probably myself sometimes, like to harp on the bad stuff and really go after it, because you know it really gets an audience. They're going to they're gonna shape up when I tell them how diabolical the iTelephone is and how much evil it's causing in your life. That'll get a lot more clicks than, hey, probably a neutral technology with some pretty big implications that we need to pay attention to and some good and bad stuff. That's not going to get a lot of likes. People are very interested in the negative stuff, so bad impressions. Again, you don't have to be a political scientist to tell that our, our let's just use political discourse, if positive messaging was effective, if people liked it, if it moved people, I promise you tomorrow, the political platforms and the politicians would reshape everything. It would just be immediate. Why? Because they're working with what works. They know what can get people to get out and vote. And they know it's going to be fear and it's going to be fear of the evil of whoever they're running against. That's generally how it works. Why is that? Because politicians are evil. Okay, we'll discuss that another day. But what we can say is, it's because we like that stuff. Well, we are gravitated, I should say. We're gravitated. Like looky-loo traffic looking at a car accident. We just have to look. We're drawn into it. This article would suggest. Various explanations, okay, it goes on uh, to some technical stuff, but it says, here's the last thing I want to leave you with. Hardly any exceptions that indicate greater, the greater power of good can be found. Taken together, these findings suggest that bad is stronger than good as a general principle across a broad range of psychological phenomenon. And this is attributed to what we call the negativity bias. Now, Chris Iomo, Christopher Charles Iomo, get up here real quick. You're wearing glasses. You showed up. You shouldn't have done that. He's not prepared for this, but he is the executive director of Journeys Counseling Ministry. And my best friend, and I've known this guy since he was a young whippersnapper, since he was like Malachi's. Well, you were never Malachi's height. Where are you? Or is he? You are now? Is he taller than you? He's getting there. I, I, okay. So Chris can't admit it yet. That's good. We're learning some things. All right. So Chris, I... This whole idea of the negativity bias. Um, tell us, like, what's that about? What's that for? What's the deal? Use a little bit of your expertise. Sure. And none of this was planned. All James said this morning was wear corduroy shorts and vans. So I should have known. Um, his are just a lot higher up than mine. Um, it depend this is a conversation that could be a very long conversation. 
But in general, if you think about something that is so internal like this, it has a good, it, a good design, right? We have to think about the whole body as a perfect design that has been taken advantage of, has been skewed away from that. So a negativity bias means we're gonna pay more attention to the things that can hurt us than the things that are nice. I'm gonna be more aware of the saber-toothed tiger den than I am the tree that has really tasty fruit, right? So it's to, meant to keep us alive, it's meant to keep us safe, and we tend to live more in that vigilant place where we're always focused on how can I control my safety other than acknowledging it's a pretty dangerous, scary world sometimes. So the negativity bias is always shifting us to try and be aware of danger instead of tasty berries. <laughs> we need him to preach more. That was like one minute. He just synthesized everything. Good job, Chris. Good job, man. Thank you. I love that. Truly on the fly. I, I love that he's my best friend, so I can't see him for therapy, but I get free therapy all the time. That's wonderful. That's so, what a beautiful way to put it. Like this propensity, it's not just because you're a naughty, naughty boy and girl. Because you're a, just a bad, you're a bad person. It actually will help you, right? It's like you're more concerned about what could go wrong to save your life. The problem is then you come to an air-conditioned environment and you're living your life and there is no saber-toothed tiger or there's no grizzly bear chasing you down. Those same impulses are operating and they're operating on you while you're sleeping peacefully in your suburban bed. And you're still wondering, why am I always thinking about what could go wrong? You get that promotion, what if I lose the job? You finally get that relationship, what if they leave me? You get that clean bill of health, but will this last, right? This, these are kind of where we can go. And notice what Jesus does. I want to point this out now. So what kind of people are we? We're the kind of people that do tend towards globbing onto what could go wrong, what is wrong, or what is bad or negative. Gossip's a good example as well. Gossip is juicy and delicious, like eating McDonald's french fries. The moment you eat them, you go, that is so good, and then it coats your mouth with I don't know what. And you're just like, oh, why'd I do that? That's how gossip works. And it can be so infectious, and we can call it all kinds of things, but the problem is we, we just like it because it plays to this same thing. And so uh, what I want to suggest is a couple things. Je we saw what Jesus did. Jesus stops everything and says, okay, you're worried. He's talking to pre-modern agrarian peasants. These are folks that work in fields. They try to, their subsistence level. They're just trying to survive. They're not thinking about a 401k. They're not thinking about probably the larger political dynamics in Palestine. They're really not. They're thinking about, I have a neighbor that's making me angry, or I have a problem, or I'm feeling sick, or whatever it is. And Jesus talks to them and says, don't worry. Look up at those birds and learn the lesson from the birds. So he brings them to the moment. Be here right now. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers of the field and learn a powerful theological concept that your heavenly father takes care of those things. Do you think he doesn't care about you? So in the a chorus of, of negative voices that are coursing through our mind and for us, our technology becomes a portal to those voices. It becomes a, a like pull the portal into the multiverse of negative ideas and thoughts and spins. Even going through like just Instagram feed and looking at someone's vacation or looking at something funny, it's like, how often does our mind kind of glob onto the negative stuff? I wish I was there. Boy, they look good. Um, I wish I looked that good. Or the jokes or the stuff that we like is kind of like at the expense of something else and it makes us feel a little bit like, okay, let's scratch the itch of something negative. I don't know. We can kind of go there. That's my point. And I'll stop talking about that part of it. But notice what Jesus does. He pulls us up. He kind of puts his hand on our chin and goes, look up here. Come here. Right here. Right now. With me. 
right here, right now with me. Learn from this. And I want to read to you um, one last passage. And Ron, can you cue up maybe the other song, the 127 Hours one, if you can. I just like to have music to this because it is, we, we lose the rhetorical beauty of it because it's translated into really good translations. But there it is. But it helps. Philippians. This is Paul of Tarsus in the footsteps of Paul of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul of Tarsus writes to the Roman veterans colony in Philippi. And he says this in chapter 4, starting verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And watch what he does in the next verse, just like Jesus lifting their chin and saying, look up, look what he does. Finally, siblings, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever is majestic, whatever has to do with justice and righteousness, whatever is awe-inspiring related to the work of God, whatever is beloved and lovely, whatever is admirable and speaks of hope, if there's anything that is excellent or anything that is worthy of praise or commendation, Think about these things. And it closes, and the peace of God will be with you. Thanks so much, Ron, for that. So this is, this is a very similar move that Jesus made that we see here Paul making, which is he's addressing the giant elephant in the room. And it's a rabid elephant that's frothing at the mouth and running around and telling you at every moment that bad thing you fear is probably going to happen unless you think about it and worry about it enough. If you worry about it enough, maybe it won't happen. The second you take your eyes off it, saber-toothed tiger, elephant stampede, it's over for you. He, they address both of them. They go right to it. And instead of trying to give like a big peer-reviewed essay on it and tell you why that's happening like I did, they just say, here's where you can go with that. Look up. First, look at the moment you're in. And then th through that, Talk to your father who is good and who will hear you and who cares about you. And so I wanted to try this together. I thought we're, I'm, gonna cl I'm closing now with two things. One, something we'll do together and then a little reflection activity we'll do individually at the end. Just some time of reflection. But I thought together the power of what Paul is suggesting here can even transform our moment right now. I don't know what rocks you brought in your backpack today. I don't know what heavy things are leaking in your life and you're like, I just, they're always humming. Like the air conditioner in the back of my mind, I just hear this hum of fear or sadness or stress. I know for me, my book deadline, September 1st, is like, ah! And I'm applying for tenure September 15th. Ah! It's like a hall of horrors that I'm looking down the barrels of. And it's always running. And so together, if for no one else than for me, I want to try something. So these things that Paul lists in verse 8 of Philippians 4, um, I, I just kind of went through and did a little bit of study on each and every term and how it's used in antiquity in all its various ways. And then I wrote my own translation. That's what you were hearing, by the way. If you're like, this doesn't follow my Bible. Um, I wasn't being heretical. I was trying to be 
I don't know, translate the Greek. So this term, this is a good one. Whatever is true, whatever is sometimes translated noble, the term semna, uh, it's a plural sort of substantive adjective. But what it means actually is like, whatever is august or majestic. Let's take a second together. I'll do like two of these. I want you to think for a minute about what is majestic that you've seen, that you've experienced. It doesn't have to be like in a church with Jesus, but I just mean in general. What is something truly majestic? As I say that word, as I say, give you that concept, take, take 15 seconds, stop and think about it for a minute. What's majestic? Okay, I would love to take a minute and just let's hear a few of these. In your life, what is something you've seen or experienced that's just majestic? The Alps. The Alps. Majestic. August. Beautiful. Yeah. The forest. The majesty of the forest. Beautiful. Where was it again? Oh, wow. I, okay, in Idaho. Just absolutely majestic. And your time was majestic. It gives me goosebumps. It's like you're in that spot in that moment. So let's hear some more. What's majestic? The Pacific Ocean. Majest- I mean, the lar- that body of water is so massive you can't even comprehend it. And it just sits there. Oh, yeah, there's the ocean. No, that's majestic. What else? Yeah. Yeah, a child's eyes when they're just delighted. That's majestic. What else? Yeah, Bob. Handel's Messiah. And when you hear that piece of music and you hear it properly and you're just like caught up like this, like amazing, majestic. Anyone else? Majestic. Well, here's another one. And this is just one on the list that, that Paul Tarsus suggests that this community, small community of believers, think about majestic things cogitate on that. Put your brain there. How about how about lovely? Prosphile, it's a good word. Lovely. Things that are beloved. What is beloved to you? Think about it. For each of you right now individually, what's, what's truly beloved? I mean, you think about that and it's beloved. Let's hear a couple. What's beloved? Lovely and beloved. No, please. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That cup of coffee in bed. You don't have to be at a five-star resort or on a private jet. A cup of coffee in bed is lovely. 
What else is lovely? Children. You learned love through having your kids and they're lovely. It's so pure. Yeah. There's almost nothing like it when my kids are playing together, especially, or like Michelli's doing little beads with Zion and he's just doing, I'm just watching it and my heart is just like snow globe. I just want to put it in the snow globe and keep it forever. Like an evil villain in a Disney movie or something. I, I, you'll never leave. But it's like truly, it's like, the, it's lovely. And you see, do you see where he's pulling you back? So come, no, 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 come here. This is true. This is so true. The words, what if it goes bad? That is the only thing that is like synthetic and poisonous. That is the aspartame in the Diet Coke. I'm kidding, I love Diet Coke. So I just wanted to kind of put that in there for a minute. Any other lovely ones? Just thoughts? All right, so this, what we just did, is a community activity. I don't know about you, but I already feel like perspective is a little bit elevated. It's up there. And this isn't just thin, positive thinking. This is like rooted, as I showed you, this is rooted in, in, in sciences. It's rooted in the truths of scripture, and it's a pattern that we can go to. And the, uh, as we, we close, we're going to do communion in, in, a, in a minute, but I wanted to give you like just two minutes of reflection on something. And I have a sheet of paper, a little half sheet of paper. So my students... Um, at Biola, I have them do something every semester, which I call it like a sources of formation audit. And that sounds so grumpy and, and bureaucratic that we'll just call it reflecting on what you're usually reflecting on. But it's an exercise, and we're not going to try to do it here. You could take it with you. I just want to kind of put the idea in your mind to consider pursuing this kind of reflection. Um, but we could, we're having this long series this summer on the spiritual disciplines or on sources of, like, how do we open ourselves to the grace of God more and more? We talked about Bible. We talked about prayer. We're talking about simplicity now. But the truth is, if your the trunk of your soul is packed to the brim with all the things that our portal of technology can fill us with, and it's mostly negative, you could try to squeeze a few Bible verses in there or squeeze a few syllables of prayer, but the truth is you're so packed and it's not because you're an evil, meanie, bad villain. It's because, like we shared and saw today, we have proclivities and propensities that have been compromised and lead us to fill our lives with stuff unintentionally that are just kind of jacked up, or at least, at best, not helpful. And so this is an exercise. You'll see here, um, what is it that you're exposed to all day? What are the things that run through your life most of the time, on an average day, let's say? These can be totally in your control things. So if you like to watch Bluey, if you know what Bluey is, your kid is not yet four years old, three years old. But if you like to watch Bluey for several hours a day, okay, that's in your control and you decided I'm going to watch Bluey. Um, but maybe you have a, a home situation where there's you know, someone that you're, you're in your home with and you can't control that but it's a source of formation. It's part of your life. Um, this list is a non-guilt, non-shame. Don't, as Bill said last week, don't let the gremlins of shame jump on this and make it into a naughty person 
talk. We have good news here. That is, Jesus has paid for our sins, and we can live in his grace. Um, But I want you to think this through maybe this week or today at some point, which is what is it that you're typically exposed to in, in a course of a day? You can use code words. If it's something you're like, I don't want to admit that I watch, you know, watch five hours of TMZ every day. Like, I'm going to say I read, um, I don't know, Keats or something. You read some, something that seems better. And then um, the one I think you can f- reflect on, though, is this category first source and last source. In your day, what is the first thing that you are exposed to or you expose yourself to? What is the first thing? And then what is the last thing right before bed? Dare I say that just recalibrating those two small things can have an undue effect on your life. It can have a massive, I'm losing my words, I haven't preached in a while, but I almost said expletive effect, um, exponential effect on your life. And so this opportunity, let's take take a minute or two, I'll take a minute, and just reflect, and then put this in conversation with God. And maybe this week, um, think about how something can change for you, maybe. Uh, Maybe instead of waking up and checking email or checking the news or looking at texts, you just hit play on the Psalms. You just hit play, boom. I'm just going to lay in bed and listen for the first couple minutes. And right before bed, Take a moment to just sit with the Lord in quiet. I don't know what it is for you, but take a couple minutes and then uh, Luke will come up and close us off with communion. Um, So let's do it and and Ron will put a little music on. are being passed out or in the space of reflection um, let's just take a moment right now um, to come before the Lord and maybe we've kind of processed and we've, we've thought through maybe something that we want to apply from James's talk something that um, we want to be more mindful of what we're consuming a line of thinking that we want to guard ourselves against maybe it's something that the Lord brought to mind that we feel convicted about Um, something to confess. And let's just take some moment, rather than just thinking about it and identifying it, let's take some time to bring it before the Lord and acknowledge it before him, not as an act of anxiously hoping God forgives us, but uh, as an exercise of realigning our hearts to God's heart and not wanting to process things apart from him, but process things with him. So let's just take a moment right now as the elements are being handed out, just in the quiet of your own heart or mind. If there's anything that, um, that came to mind in this reflection time, let's intentionally bring it before him, just to acknowledge it before him and the safety of his grace. Let's just take a moment to do that now. celebrate the Lord's Supper here. Um, we're not just going through a rote ritual. Um, this is the practice of us 
in these ancient elements, this ancient practice that followers of Jesus have been doing for 2,000 years that we're invited to specifically by Jesus. We're declaring the good news of Jesus over ourselves. We're with this physical reminder, this physical practice of bread that represents Jesus' body broken and juice or wine that represents his blood shed for us. We're reminding ourselves of the grace of God given to us in Christ. Reminding ourselves that every sin, past, present, and future is paid for in full. We're remembering that God loves us. And that's the truest thing about us. And so right now, we're going to take that, uh, having reflected, having done business with God, we're going to declare what's true over ourselves. And so Jesus invited us to take the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. So take in remembrance of me. And so let's take now in remembrance of Jesus. And he took the cup. And he says, this is my blood poured out for you. Take in remembrance of me. And so let's take now in remembrance of Jesus. God, we thank you that um, every sin, past, present, and future is paid for in, Je- in Jesus. Um, thank you that what's most true about us is that the God of the universe not only made us and knows us, but loves us personally, so much so that you entered into the human story and you took on my sin and the sin of every person in this room into yourself, that we can be reconciled to you. And we we praise you for that reality. We praise you for the fact that you love us. Um, Would we be changed as a result, Lord? Um, Thank you that... um, it's not just our sin that doesn't need to define us, but even our, uh, our lack of wisdom um, or our unhealthy thinking, things that are morally wrong but unwise. God, you cover us with that too, and that doesn't have to define us either. What most defines us is uh, the love of our creator and the grace that we receive for you in Jesus. And so we praise you for that, God, and uh, we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Jesus, that it is our promise. That you are with us, that we can look to you, that you're a lifter, the lifter of our heads. So God, thank you for this truth. And even this week, Lord, would you remind us to look to you that the worries and the fears and the chaos of the world are so much smaller than your presence, your goodness, and your hand over all of it. So Lord, we yield to you. We surrender to you. We thank you, Father. We love you. We worship you. In your powerful and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen, you guys. We'll bless you all. We'll see you next week.